1: time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message.
2: We have been asking the question, Who is your role model? Not so much who is worthy of being followed, but whom do you follow, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether choosing to or just going with the flow. And who you choose to follow or who you are following will be indicated by your priorities and your behavior. The phrase or the term role model per Webster's Dictionary is this. A person whose behavior in a particular role is imitated by others. A person whose behavior in a particular role is imitated by others. And just as there are no shortage of role models in our world, there is no shortage of those who are considered role models but should not be emulated or imitated in any way, especially by Christians. In His grace, God has given us plenty of examples to follow and learn from. Most significantly, of course, is himself in the person of Jesus Christ in his time here on earth. When it comes to obeying the Scriptures, it is very helpful to be able to have these role models in spite of their human frailty outside of Christ, of course. But perhaps it is their humanity that gives us hope that we too, with God's grace and with God's help, can succeed in a godly life in this world. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, after giving us that long list of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, reminds us that there is a whole host of men and women who have gone before us, who are now with God, whose lives have been described in the Bible for our encouragement and for our growth and the idea is, if they can do it, so can you. And we know from these men and women that they failed, they struggled with sin, but they upheld their faith for the Old Testament believers in their God and their coming Savior. And as I said last week, if we as believers today just go with the flow, if we do nothing, if we stop disciplining ourselves, you will find yourself flowing down the river of worldly wisdom, immorality, and laziness. And that is the exact state that we find the Corinthians in when they receive this letter of 1 Corinthians. I invite you to read our passage again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13, and this is the third and final week we are covering this passage as we look at who is your role model. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For, I think, God has exhibited us us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless." And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. We are looking at, as our outline, and have been looking at, seven critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. Up until this point, it was six. It is now seven critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. And up until this point, we have seen Paul make a comparison between the apostles, which of course includes himself, and the Corinthians, thus setting up for us two potential role models. Godliness and humble service exemplified by the apostles on one hand, and worldliness and proud infighting exhibited by the Corinthians on the other. And we saw these two groups contrasted in our first four points, thus challenging us to truly evaluate whom it is that we set as our role models in the areas of first spirituality we saw in verse 8. Do you think you have arrived or like the apostles, do you think you can still excel even more? Status verse 9. Do you want to be like the Corinthians that care too much about having status in the world or you agree to be willing to be despised for the sake of Christ. Thirdly, we saw wisdom, which we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. And then fourthly, last week, we saw reputation at the end of verse 10. For the sake of time this morning, I won't go into any further uh, depth in reviewing those. So let's move on to our fifth critical area of life that is determined by whom you choose to follow— And that is found in verse 11 and the first half of verse 12. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil working with our own hands. The fifth critical area of life that's determined by whom you choose to follow is comfort. Comfort. Starting in verse 11, Paul cuts out the irony and sarcasm that he has been using thus far and he replaces them with straight talk. And with that, he also stops contrasting him and the apostles with the Corinthians and only describes the apostles are true and proper role models. And what he says from here on out is not metaphorical. It is realistic. It is true of his own life. We have seen him use a metaphor of the gladiatorial arena. Now what he is doing is he's simply describing reality for himself and the apostles. And what you're going to see is that all that Paul has said about being without honor, lacking respect, considered foolish by the world, are all played out in real time with real hurtful Discomfort consequences. In other words, what he's said thus far goes beyond exaggeration, it goes beyond mere symbolism. They truly live and are treated as the lowest levels of society. Notice, he begins verse 11 with, to this present hour, and then he continues on in the present tense. In other words, this is not just the season they endured. This is not just an anecdote of a one-time incident that they're exaggerating or being dramatic about. This is something that really characterized their ministries all the time. This is a real, present, and constant discomfort that they endured for the sake of Christ. And keep in mind, all of this Is not because before salvation and apostleship they were in the lower echelons of society. They were treated this way because of their commitment to Christ, because of their ministry. And we understand, too, that many of them were just the opposite. They were in the high levels of society, at least many of them in terms of wealth, before they gave their lives to Christ. Well... There's a lot to unpack here. The first area of discomfort in our fifth point here, he says they are hungry and they are thirsty. And this speaks for itself. And know that this isn't just about a long day. You've skipped a meal. You, you, you start feeling this pain in your stomach and you realize, oh, I never had lunch because of that meeting. Or maybe you had to run from office to office and you've exerted more energy than normal. That's not the kind of hunger that we're talking about. This is true hunger. This is true thirst. This is uh, uh, not being able to go on physically. You've run out of steam. And part of this was because of the apostles' extensive travel, which would most often be on foot. And these long treks would be over large areas of uninhabited land. It isn't like today where you can drive or even if you were on a bike or walking, there would be pit stops. There would at least be vending machines or water fountains or somewhere where you could buy food. This wasn't the case. There would be nothing available to buy, and even if there was, they might not have the money to buy it. You know, these days... Literally, these days, we complain about shelter in place while we get on our laptops and Zoom into our well-paying jobs and order DoorDash. They often had nothing, and not because of, of a pandemic that was out of their control, but again, because of a choice they made to proclaim their Savior. Now, again, they didn't choose to be hungry. It's not like they had food and they said, no, I'm just going to fast. I'm going to suffer for Christ. No. No. They chose Christ, and because of this, they often went hungry. If they had the ability, or I shouldn't say that they did have the ability, if they had the willingness to choose something else, they, like the Corinthians, could have lived like kings as well. And even with the churches, as small as they were and as poor as they were often, even with them wanting to help, without modern technology, the churches often didn't know where the apostles were during those travels. And sometimes they get a letter, but again, it would take days before they got that letter, and that individual may no longer be in that city or in that prison. And what we're talking about here are role models in regards to comfort. The greatest physical discomfort we often feel is perhaps these days sitting in a chair too long, our eyes getting dry from staring at our screen, just getting tired of wearing a mask everywhere. It's silly in comparison to what they endured. I don't know if you've ever felt true hunger and thirst. Probably not. But there's nothing as uncomfortable as that, especially when it affects your ability to function and you think you might die not in an exaggerated, dramatic way, but literally, even if you've ever been on a serious diet or a fast, even if that fast is 40 days, as some Christians like to do, you don't know what these people endured. You know why? Because even when you diet or you fast, you have the option to eat if you want to. In fact, you often have to empty your full refrigerator so you're not tempted during that diet. You control when it ends. And oftentimes, you still have clean water or a little cold juice to keep you going because science has told you that you need the calories. Not so with the apostles. As far as being a role model is concerned, we must remember that all of this was not forced upon them, but voluntary. Voluntary for the sake of the Lord. Not again that they would choose to be without food and drink, but that there was a willingness to serve sacrificially regardless of what it may come. We're afraid of a a little mocking. Not being invited to lunch with our co-workers. These people... We're worried they may starve to death and their bodies found on a road someday. But the d- discomfort doesn't end there. He's just getting started. He says they were poorly clothed. Not only are we talking about a time when there weren't lightweight, breathable fabrics as we do, and even if you think your, your, your shirt or your outfit today is not breathable, it is very much so compared to wool, unprocessed, unrefined wool, We're talking about a time when someone wouldn't have also multiple pieces of clothing. And you remember the instructions that Jesus gave to the people that he sent out. Just take what you have on your backs because you're going to be traveling a lot. There weren't lightweight suitcases. There weren't suitcases. There weren't wheels on their suitcases. As they were traveling so much and didn't have much, the apostles would have even less outfits than if they were staying in one place. In other words, they'd have one instead of maybe two. Their garments and sandals would eventually wear out from travel. The word poorly, in the phrase poorly clothed, means inadequate, and it can refer to either the functionality of their clothing or the respectability as they walk into a town and they look like homeless people, which they were, as he'll mention in a moment. Here, Paul is probably enduring both a lack of functionality in their clothing, and a lack of respectability. The NIV says it well, they were in rags. And when you travel these long distances and nightfalls between towns where you can sleep under a roof or at least behind the gates of a city in the city square and be safe, you slept wherever you could. You've experienced this as I speak. There are a few people from our church who are camping. And they chose a campsite where they are in tents, but there is also a bathroom. So they have tents, they have sleeping bags, they have running water, they have clean water, they have granola bars and snacks. Probably some sort of fire starting and cooking dev- device that requires no more than a turn of a knob or a flick of the thumb on their lighter. Not so with the apostles. And to the point, they didn't even have clothing that was intact enough to keep them warm at night or even to keep out the insects from crawling onto their skin. What's the last thing you complained about regarding your clothing? A lost button? The tag is itchy? Too tight because you've gained weight eating all of your varieties of snacks in quarantine? I would imagine the apostles' clothing was too loose if they even measured it that way because of all the lost weight from starvation and traveling. Or the fabric was simply falling apart because it was rubbing and rubbing against the floor and the rocks, which it wasn't paved roads either. Sandals at that time, and we can go on. Keep in mind that although these were realities in that era, Okay, so I, I don't, I don't want you to, to feel like you're doing something wrong because you're buying clothes that were manufactured in the 21st century. It is true that the, the fabrics and the, the means of travel and things like that were the reality of that time. It wasn't that they had the options to buy cotton t-shirts but couldn't. Nevertheless, we need to keep in mind that despite that reality reality for the mass population, what wasn't a reality was choosing to proclaim a Savior and thus enduring these things. Were there other people who traveled a lot? Yes, well-known and reputable businessmen who traveled so that they can buy even more clothes and be even richer and be in higher ranks of society. You get my point. They did this for Christ. Hungry, thirsty, clothes falling apart, cold at night, bugs biting them, people laughing at them as they walked into the towns. They could have avoided all of this by just staying home, by doing the easy, comfortable thing, keeping quiet. We use that phrase today, poorly clothed, not of the homeless, not of the poor. We say we're poorly clothed and we're literally panicking, angry, in despair because we can't find a thing to wear. So wear this. No, I wore that last time. Wear this. I wore that two times ago. And you can hear it, the scraping of the hanger with the weight of your clothing against that bar in your closet. Not this, not this, not this. This is how we live, and we complain about that. We wonder why when, it, when, when, when we can't even be happy about the dozen, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen, Amazon, Macy's.com, Nordstrom's.com, whatever it is that we have at our fingertips, because we don't want to wear the same thing twice to the same group of people for dinner. That has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, why we can't transfer a joy and a willing to be sacrificial for the sake of Christ. We can't even do it for dinner. Paul goes on, we are roughly treated. You say, well, that seems about right. Well, thus far, he has only talked about things like hunger and clothing and not how other people have treated the apostles. They're roughly treated. They're not treated well. And before you say amen, I get this because you think your boss stopped talking to you because he found out you're a Christian. Let me explain that the NIV says brutally treated. The ESV says buffeted. It literally means to be beaten with a fist. But beaten in an insulting manner. In other words, this is not a fist fight where they could fight back and they could say, yeah, I kind of started it. You should see the other guy and kind of feel proud about themselves. This kind of beating was a form of humiliation and punishment by authorities and others. It's what they would do to slaves and criminals it was considered the height of indignity. A policeman would lose his job right now, today, if he did this. A policeman, a.k.a. a soldier back then, would get a promotion if he did this. He would lose his job if he didn't beat these people in the face. So in that culture, this was not a badge of honor. This was not a symbol of rugged manliness. Look at this scar. I got I was, someone beat me. Look how strong I am. No, it was a sign of shame. It was a sign of dishonor. You would see someone with bruises and you'd say, is that a criminal? I see those marks. That's from the Roman centurion. Walk away, kids. Get away from that. It was shameful. And you can imagine how slowly bruises and cuts would heal, if at all, Without modern medicine and modern bandages, maybe a dirty piece of fabric and then back off onto the road again where they're scraping their knees even more and dust is flying everywhere. But wait, there's more. They were homeless, he says. They were wanderers. They had no permanent address, no fixed abode. This had social implications as well. Even today. In our, in our place, in, in California, the most respectable citizens are those who have residences, a place to call home. One of your first questions when a visitor comes to our church, oh, where do you live? Where, do you, where are you from? How would you react if they said, oh, I live on the streets? Oh, oh, oh sorry, uh, sorry uh, uh, do you need help? Our first thought is, is shock. Shock. How could this be? How could someone walk into our church who has no home? Culturally, these men had broken with their Jewish paths and connections, and now as those representing Jesus Christ, they lacked a welcome in many of the towns and villages they came to serve. Jesus had even said, if they reject you, wipe the dust off of your feet, have nothing to do with them. Why did he say that? Because it would never happen? No, because it happened a lot and it was a reality. Could they have owned a home? Yes, many of them did. Many of them had homes. But they left them and became wanderers for the sake of Jesus Christ because they had to go from place to place. And we see from from the different epistles and even what Paul writes to Timothy, there, there are times where they had to go and rely on the help of other Christians because they were near death they were so sick. I mean, think about that. I mean, it says a lot. We're focusing on the apostles, but it it, it says a lot about the other Christians as well. We don't want to let someone in our house because of the potential of coronavirus getting through the mask that we're wearing. And these people are taking care of other Christians because there was no one else. This is an apostle. He is homeless. Look at his scratches. He's clearly been beaten. This is the, the apostle Paul here. Put him get get out of there, kids. Let him sleep on your mat on the floor. Let him heal days, weeks, months. Into verse twelve we see the last point of discomfort. And we toil working with our own hands. We think this is good these days, and those of us who are white-collar and, and have tech jobs and don't, don't have any calluses on our hands, we think it's fun. We think it's noble. We, we pay money to go to camps where we work on farms and learn how to work the field. Not so back then. Not so today for the people who have to do that. See, the word toil is not just your average 9 to 5. It speaks of labor, hard work, working—and this is important— working to the point of weariness and exhaustion. And if you ever have worked manual labor, you know what this means. You understand why a lot of farmers and different people who do manual labor are okay with just kicking off their, their mud-laden boots and just plopping into their clean sheets with dust all over their bodies because they don't even have the energy to shower or even change their clothes. And they're so tired that their work clothes don't bother them or keep them from falling asleep. Then and now, the person who works with his hands is assumed by the upper class or the elite to be working in lowly tasks. As such, they are assumed to not give attention or care about the more lofty or superior things of life. In other words... Paul is mentioning this labor as a continuous or continued indication of the Apostles' lowliness and dishonor.
1: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.